Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. some of you in a season that you have been in or that you're about to be in and it is a very seasonal word and you'll know what I mean here when I get into it but can can we just start off there's been a lot of prayer but I would just love to pray over the word and just to remind every person here that you are an active part of of this word um, you don't have a passive role uh, but actually the power of the word um, comes in the relationship between the word and the receive the, the recipient of the word. And so today, God works in spite of my flaws, right? Not because I'm an amazing communicator. Uh, he just, he, his treasure is in an earthen vessel. But what activates it is your desire and your hunger and my hunger to receive the word of God. So I want to pray over us that we position ourselves to be active recipients, not passive recipients. Anybody want that? Because that means that the potential of what God wants to give you today is reached. Because God always interacts with us in seed form, in potential form. It means that all the capability for everything God wants to do in our lives is, 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 is received in the seed. But it is only accessed through our active participation in the nature of what God wants to do in that seed. Does that make sense? We can't achieve all that what God wants for us without the presence of the seed but the seed will never germinate and grow and then produce fruit without our commitment to access the potential inside of that are you, are you there are you with me that that's free that's this isn't in my notes all this is free but every promise of God comes to us like that so I want us to treat the next half hour or so of this word with that kind of expectancy me included because I need this word as well so let's just posture ourselves, posture our hearts. Holy Spirit, we're here. And I pray that the seed of your word finds good soil in my heart and my mind. So I, I open my heart. I open my mind. Just even say that out of your mouth. God, we open our heart. We open our mind. We want to hear your truth that promises to set us free this morning. Father, so that we can be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1, and I want to read a really neat passage of scripture, and I'm, I'm not actually going to um, exegete or expound on this scripture, it's more the backdrop for the rest of my message, and um, so let's read this together. It really is a rich passage, so you can go home and read it on your own later, 1 Peter chapter Number one, we're going to read verses three through nine. Three through nine. Um, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy, say mercy. 
Anybody thankful for the mercy of God? It's by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, say through my faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. This is wonder, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, Peter's writing this. He didn't even go through COVID. But all of us face trials, don't we? These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I, I, one of the things I love about this passage is, um, and I'm not done reading yet, is that oftentimes... Um, a criticism of people of faith is that people who have some sort of a faith system are weak people. They're, they're not willing to live life eyes wide open and receive the pain and the suffering of life. They need something imaginary to lean on. And the funny thing about that type of idea is if you ever meet someone who's been through the struggles of life and maintained faith, that is actually a more challenging commitment. It's actually easier to lose my faith than it is to keep it. And what Peter is saying right here is the decision to be a person of faith is, and if we go into Hebrews, we can see that faith is actually built on um, first God's revelation to man, but then a reasoned understanding of the way I can understand the world around me. It's how we make sense of things. It's not the opposite of that. And when I can make sense of the world around me with my faith... And then I go through challenging seasons. Peter is saying that challenging season then becomes something that sharpens your faith. It refines your faith like fire refines gold. Verse number 8. You love him, you love God, you love Jesus, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Um, my, the, the title of my message is Learning to Wait in a World of Instant. Learning to Wait in a World of Instant. We're going to talk about waiting seasons today, hidden seasons. It's amazing um, how this idea of seasons and life seasons is something that's unique um, to scripture. I, I think there are probably other worldviews that have that idea, but when you, when you dip into the story of scripture, you find a rhythm of seasons in life. And we see that in the natural world, don't we? We're, we're, it's getting colder out there. I know you think Manchester's cold all the time, but it is colder now, right, than it was a few weeks ago. It's, the seasons are changing in the natural. And I like to I like to, to play around in the garden a bit and um, pretend that I know how to make plants grow. So 
um, my garden's looking a lot different than it did a few months ago, right? This is even true if you're a parent. You see this in your kids' lives. Different things happen in different seasons. We're in my house. I have three girls. We're coming into the teenage season. If you're wondering how to pray for me, you now know. Three girls entering the teenage season. I need all the prayer I can get. We're entering the teenage season, and just the way we interact is different. Like a normal conversation. Like, what do you want for breakfast? Like, it is... It's now like a thing. <laughs> like there's this thing. It is not just a conversation. It's like a power struggle. I'm just talking about breakfast, okay? <laughs> what, what is that? There's, there's developmental seasons in our life. Even um, we can see that in psychologically, there's, there's, an, there's what's called an attachment phase. Psychologists call it an attachment phase in a baby's life, right? And so you know that there are certain things that happen even in the brain makeup and the chemistry of the human mind that are reserved for those first few years of life. And although God, I've seen God step in and do amazing things in, in people's lives, there are some things that if they don't happen naturally in that season, it, you really cannot... You, you can't get that further on. Why? Because that season was reserved for that kind of attachment. We see that as well in, in, then in mid, uh, our mid-20s. We see that in brain science. Things start to change again and settle a bit. So it happens in, in, in nature. It happens in our, in our biology. It happens in sociology. It changes the way that, that, that we live and grow. Um, but it also happens spiritually. Famously, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Thank you, Simon and Garfunkel, for making this a song. Um, but for everything, there's a season, right? Turn, turn, turn. It's, there, everything, there's a season, right? You guys really want me to sing more, don't you? <laughs> so there's a season, a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted. And, and we, see this, we see this kind of seasonal way that God interacts with us all through Scripture. And... It's, and I want to make you aware of this seasonal, this seasonal way that God deals with us. And I want to make you aware because unless you're aware that in different seasons, God has an agenda for you, you will work against him in the, in the agenda that he has in that season. So think about if you were a gardener and, and you're trying to prune in the season of fruitfulness, you're working against what the season is already doing. So if you're not aware, if, if, if you don't have a, the spiritual sense or discernment, what the Bible would say discernment, to understand what God wants to do in your, in your life in a certain season, you're going to miss it. You're going to be out of tune, out of sync with what he wants to do. This sounds really spiritual. I'll bring, I'm going to bring it home. Um, but also, I, I want to give you a balanced perspective of this because some of us are too aware of the season. We're like hyper aware. And to the point that we're like, well, God's, God's doing, he, I'm in a season of repentance. And it's like, okay, but, so, but I'm, so I'm not hanging out with people. Well, okay, I mean, I, there are some things that every season of your life needs to include, right? I'm in a season right now where God's really going deep in relationship, but you're, you're not giving at all. Well, okay, it's not like God's, God's not, he doesn't have um, a focus issues, Right? It's not like, I just focus on one thing, I can't do anything else. You know what I mean? It's not like me when I'm cooking an egg. <laughs> I, I cook breakfast and the kids come in and I'm like, shh. I'm cooking egg. Stakes all my focus. God's not like that. He, he, there are some things that every season of our life should include. Every season should include giving. 
Every season should include serving, where I am giving of my time to other people. Every season should include prayer and fasting. Every season should include scripture. There's not a time where it's like, I'm just fasting from scripture. It's an odd one. I'm just really investing in my prayer life, so I'm not reading the Bible right now. That's, that's an odd one. I've not, not really heard of that one. So there are some things that every season should include. Are you with me? And then beyond that, beyond those things, let's take it back to the, the, the natural parallel. Every, every plant in every season needs sun, soil, and water. Right? Every plant. Even when you don't see anything. Even when it's just the roots beneath the surface. Those are those basic spiritual disciplines that all of us have. So when we're aware of this, we can work with God. But why is this? Because different things happen in our life in different seasons. God wants, God wants to tune you into what he's doing so that you don't have either this desires-driven life or this whatever, whatever is um, uh, chaos or whatever is screaming the most at, at my life. That's what I'm led by. But I'm actually led by what God's doing. That's the storyline. Let's go back to last week's message. That's the storyline that, that, that's guiding my life. And I'm not just driven by every chaotic situation. I'm not driven by the things I'm into. But I'm in tune with something that transcends my life. Are you seeing that? And when I get in tune with what transcends my life, everything in my life then has a place that is subject to that bigger story. Um, waiting seasons matter because as God's people, we believe that what we hold now is not all that God's promised. What we hold, say, what I hold now is not all that God's promised. So we live in, in what, what some theologians call the now and the not yet. Say the now and the not yet. It means we have part of what God's promised. We see in a mirror dimly, but we don't have all that God's promised. Maybe, and maybe today, maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe you're someone who's not a person of faith. Someone paid you to be here or said they'd take you out to lunch if you came with church today or whatever, whatever the reason. Um, this is really important if you're understanding what makes Christianity unique. And one of the things that makes Christianity unique is we're driven by this idea that something is coming and we have a part of it now. So when you look back at the history of Christianity over the past, you know, the, the, the past 2,000 years, no other worldview or faith system has done more to benefit hospitals, schools, um, uh, charitable organizations. The Christian worldview has driven that part of, of, of activity in the world. But it isn't just because we're into being good people. Uh, most faith systems believe they put a high value on being a good person. Uh, that, that isn't unique to Christianity. The difference is Christians live with this belief that we're partnering with God in bringing the future perfect world into reality now. So is it, it isn't just I'm going to be a good person so I want to start a charity. It's not just I want to feed, I, I, want, to, I want to dig wells in places they don't have water. That, it's not just I want to be a good person. We're not the gathering of the best people in the city. Just hang around and talk with me for a minute. You'll find that out. We're, we're all on our own journey. The difference is we see a vision of the future world, and we want to partner with God to bring that. It's the now and the not yet. And to be in a, to be in a world where there's a now and a not yet, it means there's going to be waiting seasons. 
Um, to be honest, I had a hard time finding or picking which story to choose in the scripture because waiting is like so, <laughs> it's like every story. It's like point at a story. And you're like, there it is in scripture. Um, so I'm going to choose a few. Is that okay? The, uh, the Apostle Paul waited. The Apostle Paul is obviously an enemy to Christians. He was killing Christians. The dude was passionate. He's just passionate in the wrong direction. He was killing Christians. Um, he, was, uh, it, he was advanced in education, advanced in his career, and um, he had an experience with God that turned everything around. But he had, at that moment, he had a call from God. Ananias was the person who gave him a call. And this was, this was the call, uh, Acts twenty two fifteen. You'll be God's witness to all the world of what you've seen and heard. That's a pretty big call. Like, you're going to be witness to all the world. But then Galatians tells us, um, that Paul, it was 14 years b- between that call and be- um, before Paul got into ministry. Um, Acts 9 actually says Paul returned back to his hometown. Many commentators say he moved in with his parents. That Paul actually moved in with So he's in his 20s. He's had, he's had the best education he could give in, 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 in his hometown and then in Jerusalem. He had incredible mentors, world-class mentors. And then he gets, then he gets born again and he moves back in with his folks. And takes up the family business, making tents. This is, the, this is the Apostle Paul, okay, that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's living at home in his 20s. And we, we don't know the exact time, but it was probably about 10 years. 10 years Paul is living. And what is he doing? Making tents. Studying. Waiting. With a call over his life that you will be God's witness to all the world of what you've seen and heard. Waiting. Abraham, all of us know Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. The word over, uh, over Abraham's life was, you will become a great nation. Um, Abraham was 75 when he received that word. He says, well, this has this, got to happen soon because I'm about to kick the bucket. <laughs> I'll make you a great nation. 25 years later, 100 years old is when his first child was born. 25 years. Joseph waited 13 years through suffering, slavery, slander, lost jobs, prison, before receiving what God promised. Moses, after fleeing Pharaoh's palace, spent 40 years in the, in, in the desert tending goats before God finally called him back to demand the release of the Israelite slaves. David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king, but he went through 25 years and a whole lot of trouble before he finally assumed the throne of all of Israel. And Jesus, who at age 12 was in the temple and astounded the religious leaders, it was another 18 years. 18 years before he did anything in ministry. And then we even see in modern times, John Wesley spent most of his 20s and 30s just disillusioned, bewildered, had no idea what God was doing in his life, only to be a part of the Second Great Awakening, which literally didn't just transform the church, transformed culture and society and government. So what can we learn from that? This, waiting is not an interruption of God's call on your life. Waiting is God's call. Did you hear me? Waiting is not an interruption of God's call on your life. Waiting is God's call. And you know you can wait well because the God who has called you to wait is with you in your wait. If he's called you to wait, he's going to give you the grace to wait well. Are you hearing me? Waiting is a part of the journey with God. It is not a departure from our journey with God. 
I think about Genesis chapter 8. After the flood story, we see, we see God then respond to humanity. And he says, um, he says never again am I going to do this. There will always now in every future season be seed, time, and harvest. And, and he, then he goes into the seasons, winter and summer. And, and it's amazing. God just mentions planting and harvest. But he left out a whole season there called waiting. Because you don't plant and then immediately harvest, do you? But as long as heaven and earth remains, there will be planting, waiting, harvest. That's part of our lives. That's part of, that is part of the season. So I want to talk today in the rest of my message about four lessons in waiting seasons. But before I do, I just want to, I want to take a quick survey here, a scientific survey. And, and I just want to see, is anybody bold enough to say, I'm in a waiting season? Let me see. Let me see. Some of you were like... Waiting seasons. Wow. If you're in a waiting season, put your hand back up. If you're in a waiting season, just look around. Should this be encouraging to anybody? I just want to tell you something. I, there's, I think there are some elements of every believer's life that's always in a waiting season. Because this is how I would define a waiting season. Any gap between what God's promised you and the fulfillment of that promise. Any gap between what God's promised you and the fulfillment of that promise. You go, well, God's never spoken to me. I'm, I mean, I just, I don't even know if I believe in God yet. Well, there's, there's loads of promises in here. And those promises involve your flourishing. It's, it's the advancement of God's rule and reign in the earth and for the good of humanity. That's, that's, that, that's, what, his, that's what this whole story is about. So it's about your flourishing. So if your life is short of that, if there's a gap between his promise and fulfillment, you're in a waiting season. And sometimes it's one little facet of my life. Sometimes it's everything. It's like my whole life. It's like I can't even, I can't even pour water out of the tap without thinking about waiting. Like everything in my life is waiting. We're consumed in those seasons. And I want to talk about four lessons of waiting seasons because this is what, this, here's my dream for us, Ramp Church, that we can be a people who wait well. We can be a people who wait well. Because if God has called us two seasons of waiting, then, then the, the better we can be at those waiting seasons, the more fruitful they will be in our lives. Amen? Four lessons of waiting seasons. The first lesson of a waiting season is... This is, what, this is what God wants to teach us in waiting seasons. The first thing is, who you're becoming is as, poor, is as important as what you're achieving. Did you hear me? Who you're becoming is as important as what you're achieving. This is a countercultural. Because the world around us is constantly singing the song that the most important thing about you is what you can count, what you can see, what you can put in a bank account, what you can drive, what you can wear, right? That's what the world around us is defining us by. Who your friends are, what floor of the high-rise your office is on, what location on the floor your office is in. Is it in the corner or is it in a cubicle in the middle where people walk by all the time on their way to the water cooler and trip over that cord by your cubicle every day? Yeah, where is it? Well, that's how we measure our lives. That's, that's the song that the world is singing. That's why in a holiday advertisement, when you see an advert on TV, they don't really show the place you want to go. They show these ridiculously beautiful people. 
who look like I will never look. And they're, they're selling you this, this, this version of reality that, that actually isn't even real. They're not showing a picture of the hotel because you know when you get there, the hotel is, is not that great. Like if they showed this, I wouldn't have bought this package. But instead they showed ridiculously beautiful people enjoying themselves. Are you with me? Why? There's a storyline all around us that the most important thing about you is what's on the outside. What can be counted or seen or consumed. What can be measured. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying those things are unimportant. What I'm saying is seasons of waiting where we're in places that are at times barren, they disconnect us from that storyline and they connect us to a different storyline that says who you're becoming is just as important as what you're achieving. Who you're becoming is just as important as what you're achieving. Who you're becoming can be seen in what you believe. These are evidences of who you're becoming. What you celebrate. If you get more excited over the results of a football match than over the reconciliation of a relationship, we've got some things wrong on the inside, right? There's, there needs to be some retuning in my heart, and I'm speaking to myself right now. What you desire, when, when there's no pressure on me, what desires kind of come up? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make you self-critical right now. I'm, I'm just saying the seasons of waiting, they give me space and room where these things just start to come up. This is why some of us avoid silence and solitude. I don't want to be silent. I mean, the last thing in the world I need is a, is a silent room with me and my thoughts. Because you don't know what kind of thoughts come into my mind when there's nothing else to distract me. That's, that's what seasons of waiting are about. They give us the, the room, the space, where the real us comes to the surface. And this is what is so compelling about walking with God, walking with the Spirit, is when you walk with the Spirit, you have a partner... That, that gives you the courage to be that honest about who you really are. If I don't have someone who's bigger than me that can help me deal with the stuff that, that comes up, then I don't have the courage to be in silence and solitude and stop and hear what really comes up. Does that make sense? So these seasons of waiting, you, you are not alone. There is someone who is with you partnering in the journey. What you think, what you speak, these all are indicators on what you're becoming. Here's, here's a principle that I want to encourage you with in seasons of waiting. If you're in a season of waiting, I call those seasons where we're consumed with why questions. You've been in a season like that. Why? Why is this not happening? Why is this happening? Why hasn't this been solved? Why haven't, hasn't this been reconciled? Why, 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 why? When you're, in a, when you're consumed with why, ask God for what? Ask God for what? You're, instead of asking God why, I, I, I tend, uh, I have found that he's generally not interested in telling us why. You, you, need to, you need to instead change that why question to a what question. What do you want to do in me in this season? Instead of why am I in this season, what do you want to do in me in this season that you could not do until I got in this season in the first place? Does that make sense? If, if God can only do certain things in certain seasons then why are you there? That's, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what is it that you're wanting to do in me in this season? And when you can get in tune with that, all of a sudden you start working with God instead of working against Him. What are you teaching me about you? That's the second season. 
what God, what in this season of waiting, what are, what are you doing in me? But also, what are, you, what are you teaching me about you? What's the lesson I can learn about who you are, your goodness, your nature in this season that it took you bringing me into this season to learn? Number three, what does the enemy not want me to know? I love this question. This is, this is C.S. Lewis kind of got into this in his screw tape letters. What does the enemy not want me to know in this season? There's something that he knows that if I knew, I would step into my calling and my destiny and my purpose in a greater measure. I would, I would become the person that God has called me to become. But because I don't know that, it's keeping me, it's hindering that journey. So what does the enemy want, not want me to know? So the first lesson of waiting seasons is who you're becoming is as important as what you're achieving. Number two, I'm going to have to unpack this a bit. I'm going to have to unpack this number two a bit. Number two, your personal history with God is your most valuable possession. Your personal history with God is your most valuable possession. See, waiting seasons um, often come with circumstances that are not enjoyable. Circumstances like betrayal, loss, lack, uncertainty, disillusionment, obscurity, disappointment, transition, lack of direction, lack of vision. This is what's, it's what waiting seasons are often. There are often circumstances, markers of waiting season. But I, I remember when I was, I was in university, <clears throat> um, and I, I didn't really know a whole, a whole lot of, of the word, but I had a desire for God. And there were two of my closest friends um, there's somehow this rumor about me had spread. And so they were believing things and sharing things about me that, that I knew just was flat out not even true. And I, I didn't really know what to do about that, but it, it was just eating at me. And so I just, in desperation, just kind of like opened the word. I, I didn't really, you know, I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin. You know, it's like, so I just, I just start like turning pages. And I open up to Psalms 37. Verses 5 and 6. You heard it. It says this. It says, commit your way to the Lord. And he will do this. The New Living Translation says, he will make your innocence shine like the dawn. And the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Wait on the Lord. How can, why can I recite that verse? It's not because I wrote it down on a card. Like put it on my mirror and every day memorized it. Or like made Stacy hold it up every morning. Like Psalms 35. Ah, which one is that? Which one is that? Oh, you got it wrong. You know, it wasn't that. What is it? I was in a season of desperation. I needed a word from God. And when he gave me a word, it is branded on my mind and my heart. I will never forget that verse. I will never. Why? Because in a place of waiting, I found the way to God's presence. I found the way to God's word, and that word gave me something that changed me. And now I just have that verse pop into my mind in and, and situations that it doesn't apply to at all. Why? Because it's marked me. It's changed me. It's, it's, it's done something in my life. The key to your waiting season, if you can remember one, if you're in a waiting season, you can remember one thing from this message, remember this. The key to your waiting season is training your eyes to see God 
and learning to find his presence, his care, and his truth in that place of waiting. Because when you find him in a waiting season, you will never unfind him again. You will carry that path, that journey, that map to his presence or his care or his truth. You will carry it in every future season of your life. That's why God puts you in waiting seasons. We see this all through Israel's history. When everything's going good, they, they just do the churchy thing. They do, you know, they show up at church and, you know, we just bless you, Lord. You know, everything's good. But, but as far as like desperation, fine, you know, I'm not in that. Because God knows the way we're formed. So he will use desperate situations to do something in us that transforms who we are. And that changed person, he can then do different things with that a non-desperate season would have never produced. Are you hearing me? Don't waste your waiting seasons because God will do something in you that will transform you for every future season. Your personal history with God is your most valuable possession. Do you know something no one can ever take from you is your history with God? There's not an accomplishment I could have that would change. I mean, everything I'm doing now could fail. But you know what I'll take with me forever? Where I've had to go in my own heart and my own life with God. People ask me all the time, what's been the most, what's been the, what's been the, um, the, the most amazing thing about, about your journey, you know, with, in, in this ministry thing or, or starting a church or whatever. And for me, it is where I've had to go in my walk with God. Where it has, what it has done in me in my own walk with Jesus. Because every day I wake up with this awareness of how incapable I am to lead anybody. I'm, I don't even understand why God trusts me to lead my own life. What, but what does that do? It, it's a, such a desperation that drives me into the presence of God to get something that only He can provide. Are you hearing me? If you are, if you are on the exterior, if you're using your life on the, on the exterior of the presence of God, you will never find that transformative place. It's about going deeper into the presence of God to find what only He can give. Number one, first lesson, who you're becoming is as important as what you're achieving. Number two, your personal history with God is your most valuable possession. Number three, this is the third lesson from waiting seasons. In waiting seasons, God wants to join your heart with the mission field that you're called to reach. In your waiting season, God wants to join your heart to the mission field you're called to reach. See, God doesn't just want, He's not just interested in like these superheroes. This is not like Marvel, Jesus version. Right? He's not just trying to like fill people and then, you know, they are just extraordinary humans. What he wants is he wants to be able to, he wants to be able to co-labor, to partner with people who can feel his feelings and think his thoughts about the people that he's interested in in our city. So when I walk down Market Street and it's just crowded with people, 
there's something, there's something going on on the inside of me, in my heart and in my mind, that is different towards the people in my world. Does that make sense? When I see a problem, I'm not primarily annoyed by that. But I'm primarily drawn to that. When, when I encounter something that, that seems to be exerting, try to control or influence, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't meet that with power or control. I come in a different spirit. I, I, I walk in the humility and the meekness of Jesus, who at any moment could have commanded anything he wanted to, and what happened, but he didn't. I walk in that. So he's forming me on the inside, on the inside of my heart and my mind, so that I see life the way he sees it. That I respond to life. That my emotions are his emotions and my thoughts are his thoughts. I'm not there. I'm not like the... I'm just saying this is the journey all of us are on. You with me? And so in those seasons of waiting, we start to feel the desperation that people who are desperate in life are feeling. Sometimes I believe God God calls us to fast because he wants wants to train me what it's like to, to not have food. I mean, not have food for real. Not have food because not, 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 that I'm not choosing food, but people who literally don't have food to eat. That I know what that's like. That there is a, there is a, um, there is now, I am a, I'm standing in their shoes. That I, that I can then find the desperation that they live with. When someone who is desperate for answers in life, for resolution in a marriage, for the restoration of a, of a child, when someone is des- that desperate, and maybe that's not something I have experienced personally before, seasons of waiting are where God positions you to be desperate about things that you can never be desperate about on your own. Uh, you don't believe me, I'll, I'll read you. I'll, I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This is Paul speaking. Who comforts us, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you hear me? So he has a relationship with God where he finds comfort from God, and he's saying, in the comfort that I'm receiving, that same God can comfort any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort as well, Paul says. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you'll also share in our comfort. You need to notice the things that stir in your heart in waiting seasons. You also need to notice the things that are hard for you. Uh, what, what is specifically challenging? Let, let, me, let me give you a story. I was talking to a... <clears throat> I was speaking with a friend about <clears throat> a, um, a, a future missionary call that they, that they felt. And they started explaining the season of life that they were in and the struggles that they were having. When all of a sudden a penny dropped in this conversation, I realized the thing that they were struggling with personally is exactly what the people group who they feel called to minister to struggles with, has struggled with generationally. And you start to realize, whoa, 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 whoa. This thing is way more connected than I realize it is. But I've had such an, I've had such an individual like perspective on my life that I'm thinking it's just about me. 
well, what if God's doing something in you that has to do with who you're called to reach? Are you seeing this? God can do a million things at once. We, I know we can only do four, three. I can only do one. But God does all of these things at once. And if we can get in tune with the seasons that he's working in us and get our eyes above just what he's doing in me, I can realize he's preparing me for something I don't know is coming. It's amazing. Scripture says that God knows the end from the beginning, but it never says he tells us the end from the beginning. The reason it, the reason it tells us that he knows the end from the beginning is because that's, that's meant That's meant to build trust in our hearts that the God we're we're following knows the end from the beginning. Because the one thing we need in that season is trust. Number three, God joins my heart with my mission field in my waiting. Number four, the last thing, this is a shorter point. I'm going to read some scripture to you and then we'll close. God's rewards are better than their promotions. This is what happens in waiting seasons. You you become disillusioned with people sometimes in waiting seasons. And sometimes that's healthy. Sometimes it's unhealthy. But sometimes it's healthy because I have wanted from man what God is wanting to give me himself. You hearing me? This is important. I'm wanting man to give me what God alone wants to give me. And sometimes, I'm using the word promotion in this principle to say that. But whatever it is in your mind, whatever... God's reward is better than man's promotion. I love when the writer of Proverbs was wrestling with this principle. He he said it like this in his own life. Proverbs 21.1. I love this verse. He says, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. I love that. Because you think the king is in charge of your destiny. No, the king's heart is like, is like water in God's hands. God moves the king's heart wherever he wants to move the king's heart, whenever he wants to move it. Are you hearing me? Your reward is in the hands of God. But if you are obsessed with what you can get from man, you will miss what only God can give you. And seasons of waiting, seasons where I don't have the promise yet, what they do in my life is they disconnect me from every other source. And they mean I have to connect with God. When I hear people tell stories, it's generally people much, much older than me that have been serving God longer than I've been alive. And they tell the most simple stories and they have the most simple principles that they learn from it. They probably couldn't preach a message like, like I just give, not that this is anything impressive, but that just shows that just the way they even s- simply interact with God. Is, is, it's just simple. It's just For them, it's A plus B equals C. But there's oil on it. There's weight on it when I hear their story. What is that? What, what's the fact that there's a weightiness about their life? There's a significance about their life. They have found God in waiting seasons when man could not give them what they needed. That's what's different about them. They haven't been satisfied with the latest Stephen Furtick message on YouTube. It's like, that's not what got them through the season. It, it, watch Stephen Furtick. It's nothing against Stephen. I'm just saying. They didn't stop there. They for themselves said, I am in a season and I believe God's called me to a life where the only thing that can meet my need is God alone. And if you don't have that kind of history with Him, 
where you can remember the place and the day, where you can remember the shirt you were wearing because you looked down and there were tear spots on it because you were in your... If you don't have those kind of stories, then let this message be a, an invitation letter to you to go, there is more than you've experienced before. And if you have experienced that, I want to tell you, you never outgrow those seasons. You never graduate from needing to need him. You never get your diploma in Godology. I just made that word up. It's not, it's not, it's not like you ever like, I know enough Bible verses now. He's not, I'm not going through a waiting season. Jesus, the son of God, went into the desert to be tested by the devil. Sent by the Holy Spirit. Let that one mess with your theology a little bit. Why? Because something happened in him in the desert that couldn't happen anywhere else. It couldn't happen anyplace else. Hebrews tells us that. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Did you hear me? Jesus himself learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Something happens in these seasons where we have to press into God for something we've never had before. Because what you've had before will not get you where you're going. I wish I had time to talk about the 400 years of silence in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That here's a people who had literally for generations had given their entire people group to serving God and seeking God. Their entire system of law and government was built around the presence of God. And God went silent for 400 years. Only to then return in the person of Jesus in a way they never expected, in a setting they couldn't see coming, in a way that was far outside their paradigm because God always wants to come in waiting seasons in ways that blow your mind about who He is. We keep trying to stuff Him back into the Him I've had in the past and Him I've... No, He wants to give you a new idea of who He is. And that requires that, that kind of personal laying down. It requires that personal kind of stretching. It always feels the same painful. Are you with me? It is, it, you never get over that, well, this is no longer sacrifice. It's always, that is always part of the Christian journey. And it will forever be that. Because God's wanting to give you a new revelation of who He is. He's not wanting you to camp out in the previous revelation. Standing.